Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. More than 60 million girls in the world are not in school. The reasons why can vary from civil unrest to cultural and social factors. Today, where we live, we look at education in Afghanistan. The Taliban no longer controls the entire country, but when it did, girls 10 and over were forbidden to go to school. Shabana Basij Rasik was one of those girls. We'll hear her story this hour, including her work to co-found the first boarding school for girls in her native country. It's known as SOLA, the School of Leadership in Afghanistan. Now, what do you think are the repercussions when girls are kept from school across the globe? You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Email where we live at WMPR.org. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now, Shabana Basij Rasik joins us by phone. Shabana, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about your background, Shabana. I understand you were born and raised in Kabul. Uh, when we look at a map, tell us where Kabul is and what it was like to grow up there. Um, you know, Kabul is um, closer to the eastern side of Afghanistan. And um, in the past uh, 15 years, it has grown from uh, 700 thousand people to um, close to f- five or seven million, the statistics vary, but it has ex- expanded rapidly. Um, and most of it is um, the um, many ref- Afghan refugees returning to Afghanistan from uh, places like Pakistan, Iran, and elsewhere in the world. And uh, a number of uh, the people from provinces who come to Kabul um, to seek employment opportunities so the city has expanded um, really um, greatly in the past um, short few years. Um, but, um, you know, when I was growing up, um, Kabul was a very, very different uh, place. Um, I remember um, talking about how the days back then were so long. <laughs> and I think mainly um, part of it was people were not allowed to watch TV, listen to music, um, were really isolated from the rest of the world. Um, but for me as a young girl, um, we were not allowed to go to school. Um, women were prohibited from working um, outside the house. Uh, girls were uh, banned from going to school. Um, and any of the families who did um, try to educate their girls um, basically were considered uh, criminals by the um, government. Now, you were six years old when the Taliban took over. You mentioned some of the rules that were in place. Was this under Taliban rule? Correct. Yeah, these were, these were under the Taliban. Um, you know, prior to the Taliban regime, uh, women um, enjoy many more freedom. Um, uh, and for instance, my mother was a teacher before the Taliban regime. Um, she, um, she started teaching when she was in 10th grade. Um, in high school, mainly because back then there was such a need um, uh, for uh, teachers, especially for female teachers. Mm. So she um, was offered um, a job um, really in high school, and she has, you know, she's 
thought for more than 40 years before she recently retired. Mm. Um, but, you know, the, the, the rules that I'm talking about, um, you know, where women were not allowed to go to school, uh, to go to work, or girls were not allowed to go to school, really apply to the, the time when Taliban were in power from mm. 1996 to 2001. You mentioned your mother was a teacher. What about your father, and how did he encourage you? My my father, um, you know, my father was um, in the army before the Taliban and after the Taliban. Um, both, you know, my parents, um, with their backgrounds, um, you know, working in the army and working as an educator, uh, but in their personal lives, uh, being the first uh, in their families to go to school, my father was the first uh, man or person to go to school in his family. And my mother was the first uh, woman in her family, along with her sisters, um, mm-hmm. to be allowed to go to school. And I think uh, that makes me a very lucky um, girl um, in that, you know, they have such a great appreciation for the value of education and when, what that can mean um, for a person, uh, person's life and their future. And that when, you know, when they were faced uh, living under a regime like the Taliban, where they were basically told um, that educating four of their daughters um, would be considered a crime, they had to make a, a difficult decision. Um, my, my parents uh, sent me and my sisters to a secret school. And what I mean by a secret school is really sneaking into somebody's living room at various times um, so that we don't create a pattern um, uh, every day. Um, and, you know, the, the one that my sister and I attended uh, was um, 40 minutes to an hour walk each way. And um, we were told every day by family and by um, the teachers at the school um, to make sure we walked different paths going to school and coming back home so that we avoided creating any kind of a pattern. Um, Obviously, everyone um, who participated in in this knew uh, the consequences. Um, If we were caught, um, in most cases, we um, heard stories, um, you know, horrific stories of some uh, secret schools being uh, discovered by the Taliban where they beheaded the teacher, punished the students and their families. Um, so even as a really young girl, um, you know, I knew that every day as I was walking to that secret school and coming back home, I was not only responsible for my own safety and my, the safety of my sister, but I was responsible for the lives of so many other girls who came to that uh, secret school. Now, Shabana, and, you know, as a young person, that can weigh on you quite heavily. Now, Shabana, when you and your sister went to that secret school, you also were in disguise? Yes. So my my older sister was uh, old enough that she had to wear a burqa. And um, again, you know, the Taliban uh, did not allow women to be walking outside alone. They had to be uh, accompanied by a male family member. And in this case, um, I my you know, really, it was my mother who decided to dress me up as a boy um, so that I could accompany my sister to and from. This was um, the only way both of us could get an education, but also uh, really minimize um, any kind of attention that we would get once we were outside the home. How long did this go on, Shabana, and how did you um, have optimism during this time? Because every day you had to be fearful that you would get caught. Yeah, um, you know, I think uh, 
you know, I've I've had a lot of time now to reflect back on that time, but really when I was in in that um, mode, um, you know, there were, you know, it really depended on the day. Um, you know, I I really did um, embody that persona. You know, I it gave me a lot of freedom. Um, outside the secret school trip every day, um, I was allowed to be outside playing. I was uh, you know, I spent hours uh, flying kites or playing soccer uh, with my brother and, and his friends in the neighborhood. Uh, but, you know, there, then there were times when uh, we would walk to the school and feel like we had a very close call of, you know, being caught. And obviously that's a really, really scary experience when you know, you know, when you hear uh, stories about public executions just to teach people a lesson. Um, at that time, uh, we knew that they were not joking about consequences. Um, and so we were, you know, I remember coming home uh, begging my parents um, to stop sending us to the secret school. Um, you know, uh, I get really emotional talking about this every time because I think my parents were incredibly brave in doing what they did. Um, you know, we would, we would say, please. There is no need for us to go to school. So many other girls in our lives, in relatives, in neighbors, don't take this risk. Why do we have to take this risk? Why is it so important? It's not like we can graduate from high school and go to college or university and get a job. So why bother? And, you know, my parents were incredibly gracious and patient in explaining the value of education. And I don't think I quite appreciated what they were saying then until several years later, but they would they would remind us that you know in life we could lose everything you know everything that we own can be taken away from us we could lose it in a natural disaster or we can be forced to leave the home that we own but there's one thing that no one can take away from us and that's um, you know the power of our mind the the our ability to think for ourselves and to know, and that's the one thing that even the Taliban cannot take away from us. Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> I think, it, you know, think about it, it's so powerful, and right now I am where I am because my parents invested in us. But back then I had no appreciation for it. All I wanted to do was get out of it. Um, and, you know, I thank my parents for being persistent because, um, you know, back then we didn't even have cell phones. And, you know, every day my uh, mother would send us to school not knowing if we would come home mm-hmm. at all or if we would come home alive. Um, you know, it's not like we had a set time by which we would get home. Uh, we had to keep a very random schedule. And um, I, can't, I can't imagine what it took for her to be able to do this day in and day out. This is where we live. I'm speaking with Shabana Basij Rasik. She's an Afghanistan native. She lives in New England, and she's the co-founder and president of SOLA, the School of Leadership Afghanistan. Shabana, uh, everything changed uh, in 2001. Do you remember what your father said when uh, the Taliban was overthrown, when, when the U.S. invaded? Yeah, I um, it was. Uh, I remember during the Taliban regime, my my father owned this um, small gray radio, um, through which he tried to listen to the news, uh, BBC World Service and Voice of America and whatever they, he could access. 
And, you know, I remember every morning he would try to pay so much attention and he did not like uh, being disturbed uh, during the morning uh, news hour. Uh, But that particular morning um, when the Taliban were ousted um, from Kabul, my father had a huge grin on his face. Um, You know, just even everything in our household was loud and happy. Uh, It was a very different mood. And I had just woken up. Um, and my and I was trying to find, figure out what was happening. Um, my father said um, the, Tana, the Taliban are gone. I I couldn't believe it. You know, even though I was really young, but the six years living under the Taliban regime felt like the longest years of my life. Um, I'm not sure why I felt that way, but I I ran outside. Um, I opened the door um, uh, to the outside. Um, and I made sure I kept all of my body inside the house and just, um, you know, try to tilt my head outside and see um, if they were really gone. Um, it was a very foggy morning. Um, I, le- I looked to the right and left, and I made sure I was mostly inside because I was worried that if somehow some talib was hiding in a corner waiting f- to see my happiness and then try to kill me. Uh, and I saw nothing but just this beautiful, quiet, still morning that it's one of my mm-hmm. fondest memories of um, that morning. Um, and I came back home and, you know, and next thing you know, I was hearing, you know, cheers and celebrations, um, men pouring into the streets of Kabul, uh, publicly shaving their beard, um, you know, a lot of men and boys uh, bringing out their, at that time, they had cassette players and all the uh, music uh, tapes that they had uh, hidden from the Taliban, they would bring it out into the public and uh, play it really loudly and dance and um, women burning their burqas. It was, it was a really beautiful thing. And I think the most beautiful part of all of this was uh, anticipating going to uh, public school because I had never been to a public school. Um, all of my education up to that point was in, in a secret school. Um, and then, you know, a couple months later, uh, the government announced um, taking an entrance exam from all female students because the, uh, their records were burned by the Taliban. So they invited uh, female students to go to school and take entrance exam into what, whatever grade level they felt comfortable. And I had just finished sixth grade, so I took that entrance exam and um, was placed into seventh grade. And when they were announcing um, the class, uh, you know, they divided students into groups of 60 or 70 students per classroom. Um, I, because I had scored um, at the top of the class, um, I was uh, chosen as class representative. Uh, when my name wa- was announced, I was trying to make my way into the front of the line, uh, mainly because um, you know I'm, I'm a short, petite person. I'm barely five feet. And uh, the teacher looked at me and she said, oh. Um, and the reason she was um, concerned was I was in a classroom where close to 97% of my classmates were six years older than I was. And that is the first time um, 
it really hit me what my parents had really done for us. We're going to hear more about your your uh, journey into to public school and then how you ended up here in the U.S. Uh, after a short break. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. I'm speaking with Shabana Basij Rasik, a New England resident. She's also co-founder and president of the first boarding school for girls in her native Afghanistan. We're going to hear more about that school. It's called School of Leadership Afghanistan or SOLA. Today we're talking with Shabana about her work to help more young girls get an education in a country where few, very few have the opportunity. You can join the conversation too. 860-275-7266. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Lately, there has been a wave of killings around Afghanistan specifically targeting girls who study or women who work. Schools, teachers and students are continuously targeted too, especially in the south of the country where the Taliban have a strong presence. That was from a 2010 Al Jazeera report. Today, in 2017, the Taliban still maintain strongholds in regions of the country, including Helmand and Kandahar provinces. Now, how does this impact the rights of women and girls in Afghanistan today? We're talking about efforts to educate Afghan girls. On the phone with us is Shabana Basij Rasik, a New England resident who co-founded the first boarding school for girls in her native Afghanistan. It's called School of Leadership Afghanistan, or SOLA. Uh, at one point, under Taliban rule, Shabana had to dress as a boy so she and her sister could go to a private or secret school under Taliban so that they wouldn't find out. And eventually, after the Taliban was overthrown in 2001 with the U.S. invasion, she was able to go to school. Publicly, uh, Shabana, how did you end up in the United States? Um, I was uh, nominated for a scholarship program that was um, funded by the U.S. State Department, um, bringing about 40 students, um, 20 boys, 20 girls, um, from across Afghanistan um, to spend a year um, in various states in the U.S. And uh, in in the year, I I was nominated for the for the opportunity. Um, by my school principal, uh, I was told that around um, 4,000 students from across Afghanistan took the initial entrance exam. Um, then eventually um, it was narrowed down to um, a list of 40 uh, students, uh, 20 boys and 20 girls. And I came to the U.S. through that program. Um, very unfortunately, in 2010, that program was canceled. But the year I came in, uh, in 2005, um, I was randomly placed with a wonderful host family in Wisconsin, where I lived um, for a year, um, went to a public school there. Um, and uh, then in 2006, I returned to Afghanistan um, for a year before coming back um, to the U.S., um, to actually Vermont, um, uh, where I attended uh, Middlebury College um, from 2007 to 2011. What was the reaction of your parents who who risked so much so that uh, you and your siblings could attend school, this idea that you were able to go to the U.S. to study and get a degree? Yeah. So I was um, the first uh, person in my family to come to the U.S. Um, for education. Um, I have five siblings, and eventually they all came mostly to the New England area. Um, to study, um, and some of us have gone back. I have two siblings who are still students here in the U.S. Um, but uh, back then in 2005, I mean, when I was going through the process, um, 
the exam process. I had just started learning English in 2004, so really my family, all of us kind of, you know, didn't think I had a chance, uh, at least not that year, um, of uh, getting getting into the program. But I kept getting shortlisted to the next round, and, uh, you know, the attitude that I held and my family held was like, well, maybe in the next round I won't be invited. And finally, um, you know, I got visa, and a date was set for me to travel to the U.S. And that's when, you know, my my parents started getting feedback from, you know, the you know, from nearby people um, saying, you know, maybe she shouldn't go to the U.S. Um, you know, at that time it was, you know, too early in, into the relationship between the U.S. and Afghanistan and um, the fact that I was young, people expressed concern. And by the time my father heard all of that, you know, he he basically said, you know, I haven't asked anyone for their opinion um, whether on whether she should go or not. She's earned it and she's going. And uh, I came. Um, you know, obviously they they are very proud, but like most South Asian parents, um, they won't say it in front of me. <laughs> um, but I know they are very proud, and um, I've heard my father tell other people um, most often that his uh, biggest uh, investment in life is um, the education of his uh, six children. And I think he isn't just proud of our education, but he's continuously, you know, both my parents, my father and my mother, they've continuously uh, made sure that we know and we remember that um, the reason we, you know, they invested in our education so much and the reason that they have, uh, you know, charted really um, a new path for all of us is so that we could uh, put our education to good use. Um, and uh, that, you know, when, as we were getting educated, uh, we were reminded that there were so many young boys and girls in Afghanistan who weren't given that opportunity and that it was our obligation to make sure that we uh, work on their behalf and that we change things for the younger generation of people. Shabana, what was I think I'm very grateful for what they have done for us. What was it like to come to the U.S.? You know, again, the war had started and been going on for a few years uh, when you came here. What was the the how did people respond to you? Um, well, I you know I was incredibly excited about the opportunity. You know, I came in. You know, my mantra was try new things and. Um, I had a great experience as a result of it, and people were incredibly nice and warm. But I think uh, where I was um, in Wisconsin, I was probably the first person from Afghanistan that they had ever been in contact with or had an opportunity to ask questions from. And so I ended up receiving a lot of very interesting questions from various people um, about the day-to-day life and what was happening in Afghanistan. But in this process, I was really quickly, um, you know, shocked and surprised um, how little people knew about Afghanistan. And I think I'm no longer shocked, um, but it still sometimes hits me um, that to this day there is very little um, known about Afghanistan. The reporting coming to the U.S. about Afghanistan is so... Um, simplistic. Um, 
one misconception know, I was thinking of is uh, so often people think of Afghanistan as um, of, as all residents there uh, holding the same uh, beliefs as the Taliban and this idea oh, that men would encourage their daughters to go to school that might sound foreign to some people. That was a big shock for me. That you know that was particularly you know coming from a household where my father is my champion you know for for my opportunities you know you know when people interrupted you know my um my opportunity to come to the US or tried to interrupt interrupt it if my father could have easily said oh yeah you're right she shouldn't go but you know he didn't even let that become a discussion and so you know having that kind of a really supportive father figure that came to me as a as a surprise but you know i i, I also understand that you know the you know there are there are fathers there are men in afghanistan who aren't supportive but the unfortunate thing is that they have they have dominated the perception or the 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 identity of afghan men which is really not true i mean uh, you know i can i can talk about a number of fathers today and who are the fathers of my student um who go through unbelievable um you know experiences to allow their daughters to come to school. Uh, in, in most cases, they receive threats um, to be killed if they continue to send their daughters um, to school, um, like Sola, to a boarding school. And yet, because they believe so much in, in the power of education, but in particularly what the Sola education could do for their daughter, they accept those risks and they continue to support their daughters. Um, to study. You mentioned Sola a few times, and we um, we have to take a, a short break coming up, but we are going to hear more about the School of Leadership Afghanistan. Again, I'm on the phone with uh, Shabana Basij Rasik. Uh, she lives in Massachusetts, co-founder and president of Sola, the School of Leadership Afghanistan. Um, we are talking with her today because of efforts around the world to get more girls in school. But today, of course, we're focusing on Afghanistan because Shabana is a native of that country. Coming up, we're going to hear more about how she is uh, reinvesting back into Afghanistan through this school, Sola. And we're going to find out her reaction and her perspective on the future of Afghanistan. Uh, this war now, 16 years uh, going strong and with recent news that the Trump administration is allocating more troops to Afghanistan. We're going to get Shabana's reaction uh, for what that means for her country. Uh, Shabana Basij Rasik again on the phone with me. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. First, if you listen to conversations on this show daily and you appreciate them, we ask you to support where we live. It's WNPR's fall fundraising campaign. Here are two of my colleagues to tell you how to support this program. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Did you know globally 65 million girls are not in school? Uh, that's because of a variety of reasons, including war or social and cultural factors. Uh, my guest today is Shabina, Shabana Basij Rasik, and she knows what it's like to live under Taliban control. She dressed as a boy for several years while growing up in Kabul so she could attend a secret school. Today, Shabana is co-founder of the first boarding school for girls in Afghanistan. It's known as Sola. Uh, Shabana, you told us that you're a graduate of Middlebury College. Uh, when did you decide to go back to Afghanistan and start the school? I think in some ways, uh, when I came to the U.S., I had never left Afghanistan. Um, when I came to the U.S. and saw the difference in life and opportunities here versus there, um, I was incredibly um, surprised and shocked. And 
um, you know, I think that experience alone really um, compelled me to to focus uh, my energy and skill sets um, on Afghanistan. You know, I figure that uh, there are a lot of uh, wonderfully talented people in the U.S., and um, the U.S. won't miss out on me. So I knew all along that I wanted to uh, work um, in Afghanistan. Um, but really, uh, it was um, the, my, my freshman year um, when I found myself in this amazing school. And during orientation, the president of uh, Middlebury said um, something along the lines of, how uh, only two or three percent of Americans are lucky enough to have access to um, the, that quality of education um, that is taught at a place like Middlebury. And, um, you know, there was a report um, from the UN um, that came out that year that said only six percent of women in Afghanistan, six percent, um, have a college degree. And I couldn't do the math for myself, you know, of, um, you know, on the path that I was. Um, I felt so lucky, so privileged, um, that at times I felt incredibly guilty. And I think it was that feeling that really, um, um, you know, that's when I decided that I wanted to help uh, young Afghan boys and girls um, gain access to quality education um, in a place like the U.S. so that um, they can also get a great education and return to Afghanistan um, and work there. And so that was the, really the beginning of um, uh, the founding of SOLA. Um, you know, to, in all honesty, I felt like this was going to be a side project, um, that I was going to have a different career, and that, um, you know, on the side, I would always support young people um, g- gaining access to great education overseas. Um, but then uh, by the time I graduated uh, Middlebury and went back to Afghanistan, uh, my co-founder, who is an American and who also lives uh, here in New England and now, at that time he lived in Afghanistan, uh, an amazing human being. And he, um, you know, he and I um, initially started SOLA um, as a scholarship program. Um, we worked with uh, young boys and girls um, help them uh, get um, scholarship opportunities to come to boarding schools, mostly in the New England area because we had connections here with schools like Brooks and uh, so on. Um, um, and then um, help them um, get into colleges and universities before they return to Afghanistan. But uh, when I returned to Afghanistan in 2011, um, I worked um, as a World Bank consultant uh, with a rural development project for a year. and. It was during that time uh, working really in, in the public sphere um, in the Afghan government and focusing on the side project of ours. Um, that's when I really realized um, that um, for me to put my education and skill sets to maximum use um, for Afghanistan was um, to become an educator. And I really surprised myself when I first considered myself an educator. Um, and and in, in, in thinking of, you know, what Afghanistan needed, I really wanted to turn our scholarship program into a boarding school, um, a full-fledged boarding school. Um, really, uh, how, you know, this was such a perfect solution to so many problems facing girls even today. Um, you know, in rural parts of Afghanistan, um, um, you know, the misconception here in the U.S. is that the number one reason why girls in Afghanistan don't go to school is 
um, you know, traditional belief and, um, you know, men in Afghanistan not allowing girls to go to school. Uh, but the actual reason, which might surprise a lot of listeners today, is lack of teachers. You know, let that sink in for a minute. You know, lack of female teachers is the number one reason why girls in Afghanistan don't go to school. Uh, to give you an example, in a southern province in Afghanistan, out of 3,111 teachers in the province, only 16, are women. And out of the 16 teachers, only one has a high school degree. Um, so it is really challenging for girls in rural Afghanistan to get an education. It's not to undermine the fact that you know other um, factors such as uh, lack of security and in some cases uh, traditional beliefs uh, prevent girls from um, going to school. Oftentimes, you know, their labor at home, their help with their mothers at home, is far more favored than their ability to study. Um, but there are so many different factors, and the number one being lack of teachers in Afghanistan. So, Shabana, what, so really, are, what are you doing to address that shortage, including whether um, the teachers you hire are qualified to teach these um, young girls and boys? Yeah. So, you know, we when we decided to become a boarding school, it, you know, it's an all-girls boarding school. Um, and for me, the solution was to create a boarding school, was to to create a school in an you know in a safe nurturing environment in a place like Kabul city and then uh, provide a space for girls from rural parts of Afghanistan to um, come to Kabul and live in the boarding school and study um, you know we at the moment have um, 62 students um, from 15 different provinces in Afghanistan and our goal is in the next uh, five years to grow the school to um, hopefully um, the first phase 175 and eventually to 340 students from all 34 provinces in Afghanistan. But the key was to create a boarding school in Kabul where obviously the opportunities for girls um, and in general uh, girls' education is far more accepted than it is in other parts of the country. And that has really allowed us um, to not only, um, you know, minimize the security risks in some way, but also to draw on um, talented uh, pool of teachers. And now what we do, we, we do hire um, young um, Afghan teachers who, are, um, who have recently graduated from university in, in Afghanistan, but we provide um, ongoing um, uh, virtual um, professional development and e-tutoring um, and e-mentoring for, for the teachers and for the students. And so that's a one way for us to really um, make sure that our teachers are able to teach um, um, up to the international standards, which is really um, a key for us. You know, we are, uh, we are really moving away from the memorization uh, system that is so prevalent in our educational system to one that is really inquiry-based, uh, student-centered, um, and allows and engages students uh, in the classroom and outside of the classroom. Shabana, I wanted to take a, a quick call. Uh, Amy's calling from Hartford. Amy, we have a couple minutes. Go ahead. Hi, Shabana. It's Mrs. Fector. <laughs> Hi, Mrs. Fector. Great to hear your voice. <laughs> How are you, my love? I'm doing well. Thank you. <laughs> I just wanted to say Shabana was a freshman year roommate of my daughter, Michelle, at Middlebury College, and from the very first time I met her, I knew that this young lady was going places. Um, she was always a very determined, very bright, smiling young lady who, who had such an open heart. And Shibana, you say that you surprised yourself. 
uh, in becoming a teacher, I think you were a natural teacher all along. Uh, you were one. You you were somebody who introduced me to your country, your culture, and those fantastic beans that you make. <laughs> <laughs> well, Amy, thank you for calling. Uh, so this is someone that you know uh, personally, uh, Shabana. I'm curious how many students Sola has today. And we we did mention earlier in the show, you know, certain parts of your native Afghanistan still dealing with uh, not only the Taliban but. Uh, ISIS is now in Afghanistan. I mean, how does that uh, threaten the work that you're doing? Uh, we have uh, 62 students in Afghanistan, and we have sent about 50 to 60 students abroad to the U.S. and six other countries um, around the world um, for education. Um, and, you know, we, we're expanding at about 25 students every year in the next five years. Um, um, you know, the, the work we're doing in Afghanistan, you know, it's the first and only boarding school for girls. It's, uh, for me, uh, the major focus is on uh, really uh, bringing this model of education to Afghanistan and making sure that our people in Afghanistan are able to own, take ownership of this kind of a model and really stand behind it to support it. You know, we, when we started, uh, we had four students, and today we have 62, and, you know, that number is growing. For for our current class of uh, sixth-grade students, um, 26 sixth grade students, we had 472 inquiry forms completed. Um, so there is a great desire um, in, in this education. It's not to say that our recruitment efforts are easy and seamless, but you know, we do face a lot of challenges. The in challenges. Most of our trips to uh, provinces, you know, when we try to uh, talk about, um, you, know, not, you know, obviously the security challenges as we go to provinces, but but when we talk about the model of education to, uh, you know, all girls, um, schools, principals um, in various provinces, I, oftentimes the very first reaction um, is um, that it is such a great model of education. Why is this not for boys? Why are you, um, you know, investing in girls? And, and I think, you know, when I hear that, I say, you know, it's because of this kind of reaction that it has to be for girls, that, uh, you know, boys in Afghanistan relative to girls have uh, much greater access to education. And so it's really important that we invest in girls. And, and you know, you, in the beginning of the show, Lucy, you talked about uh, the, you know, what are the repercussions of um, not sending girls to school um, around, the, around the world. And, you know, we talk about investment in girls' education from, from an economics point of view. It has the greatest return. Um, you know, you send a girl to school, um, you keep her in school, she marries later, she has fewer children, she has healthier children, and she makes sure that her children, boys and girls, um, get an education. And, you know, that, that, that cycle continues, and it's this beautiful ripple effect. In a place like India, for instance, if India were to send one more percent of its girls to school, their GDP will rise by $5.5 billion dollars. So it's no longer just morally right thing or responsible thing to do to send girls to school or to invest in girls' education, but it's economically smart thing to do. You know, and our world needs it. You know, we all know we are in this. You know, we live at a time when um, you know there are so many problems around the world, from terrorism, from you know um, public health crisis um, or crises around the world, and the answer quite frankly, to all of that is sending those 65 million girls around the world to school and making sure they stay in school. 
I mentioned earlier uh, that the war in Afghanistan uh, from the U.S. involvement, 16 years now, I believe the longest conflict the U.S. has been involved in. Uh, in late August, President Trump announced that he'll be sending an additional 4,000 troops to uh, Afghanistan to help Afghan forces. Uh, Shabana, what do you see is the future for Afghanistan? You know, you also mentioned earlier about uh, people's perception or misconception that uh, the majority of the country believes in um, Taliban or Taliban-like ideology. And, you know, obviously as an Afghan, it's a big shock for me. Um, You know, I think there was a moment very, you know, very clearly that American public um, got a taste of how little people in Afghanistan support uh, Taliban-like ideology. And this was when there was uh, a conversation about signing the bilateral security agreement between Afghanistan and the U.S., the long-term engagement. And when um, previously the previous government um, was, um, uh, you know, delayed that conversation and brought it up to the Afghan public, held a, a traditional jirga gathering of elders to discuss whether the Afghan government should sign such an agreement with the U.S., uh, you had, you know, in, in long-bearded, Tur- you know, men with turbans um, unanimously agreeing um, to sign that agreement and why it, it wasn't, uh, you know, and asking why it wasn't signed sooner. And so that was a one moment where the American public got a taste of how many people across Afghanistan support U.S. engagement and U.S. involvement in the country. So similarly, you know, with the troops, um, I know that, um, you know, most Afghans are reassured um, that, um, you know, they are, um, they are supported um, in, in their efforts um, to build their country, build the economy, um, and, you know, um, take, take the risk at the moment that is needed um, to provide a long-term um, um, sustainable development um, for, for, the, for the country. I've been speaking with Shabana Basij Rasik, co-founder and president of SOLA, the School of Leadership Afghanistan. Shabana lives in New England, and we appreciate your time to tell us a little bit about your initiative in your native Afghanistan. For our listeners, quickly, Shabana, where can they go to learn more about SOLA? Yeah, they, well, they can um, go on to our website. Um, it's uh, SOLA, S-O-L-A-Afghanistan.org. Um, and there's a lot of information. We are a U.S. registered nonprofit organization, um, and um, they can get in touch with us uh, very easily through our website and through our Facebook uh, page. Shabana, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, Lizzie. Our show is produced by Lydia Brown. Special thanks to Mira Viswanathan. Our technical producer is Kayon Wolf. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. If you appreciate where we live, now is the time to support this program. Here are two of my colleagues to tell you how. <laughs> 